0: I had, I had a friend who was a little bit prone
1: to injuries and, and he changed it in a way that his identity, that his main sport was rehabbing. And then he said that sometimes he's also doing, doing some sports. So <laughs> he, he switched it, switched it as, as a joke in another way. I think he was probably a bit frustrated. Um, how, how do you see like we are looking for implementing wearables in, in rehabilitation, in in usually in hospital settings uh, or or clinical settings, and and you can get a lot of feedback from from wearables. You can you can you can get quite a bit of how the things are progressing. Do you see some points that we should consider in this kind of setting? How how to provide the feedback? Um, usually, it's very important the first weeks. Even the first week, for example, after ACL surgery, that that really makes a difference. How how well you do the start. So, uh, what what things should be considered in in this kind of setting?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think wearables are a really good idea. I think um, you know what what we know is is that um, you know people people who who potentially can't move a great deal in those situations. Um, and again, just thinking about some of the people who I work with who um, who are bedridden or who um, who can't you know actively go for a walk um it could just be a a matter of any kind of movement to um to then increase motivation i think that a lot of people with a lot of people seeing is believing when it comes to wearables and they like to see the stats and they look at you know uh, energy expenditure um so again and again in our research looking at um work with uh, physios, we know that uh, we've, we you know we, we've asked people to wear you know everything from pedometers, etc., to look at heart rate. Um, a completely different variety of things to to, to track movement. Um, and we know that those who are engaged and committed in their goal would will move more. Um, and again, regardless of whether they are um, walking, etc., but um, with, with pedometers, we get some really good data looking at um, how often people are moving, um, or even just standing up. You know, because clearly, if you're working at a desk all the time, very difficult to go for a walk, you know. So, you know, as simple as, you know, um, wearables that will allow you to stand up and to, you know, just, just keep active or move your arms or whatever it could be, um, hugely of huge benefit, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, you know, I think for us as, as well, you know, looking at the research side, we love data. Like, that gives us a data point that we can look at and we can use as um, empirical, you know, information. To determine whether this uh experimental group who usually receive imagery-based interventions whether they're exercising more so um again for us i think it's a really good data point to have
1: yeah and of course like if you think for example acl injury you have been maybe an athlete before it it is not big steps that you do in the beginning you are just trying to find the quadriceps that you can actually even even activate use it a bit and then for example progression with steps activity probably you can manage expectations when you can actually show that you are on the plan if this doesn't feel much but you are actually going according to the plan or this is going better than average for example
2: definitely definitely and I think that there's also something around you know we've spoken a bit there about Um, about you know increasing your exercise amount i think for some people who are um who have an injury uh it's beneficial to try to limit in some way um uh, a lot of activity so again it's looking at tracking you know for for those who've got early stage injuries we don't want them to be you know doing too much uh in a movement we don't want them to be actively going on on long walks you know we want them to be engaging in um that kind of that initial phase of um, of movement, but definitely not overdoing it by any means. I think that's the misconception sometimes is that people um, overdo it, especially athletes. They, they will think, I'm an athlete. I can be back. I, I, I can circumvent the system and be back very quickly. Um, and that doesn't really happen. So again... It's staying. It's staying focused on the, on the goals, and again aligned to. In this case, it's, it slightly removes the autonomy and, and the whole free will side. But you know what what surgeons might say and they, they recommend. You know what they what they know best in terms of you know um, resting. Ultimately,
1: yeah. So now we have discussed about kind of inactive people doing physical activity, and then healthcare setting. Do you, do you want to bring up some other? Examples, application areas that you you find it it fits well.
2: Yeah, I, well, I, th- I I think um, with within the book. So if I if I kind of divert slightly to talk about the choice point, um, so it's kind of it's been a bit it's been an interesting evolution of uh, of the choice point. When we started off, um, we we called it st- something completely different uh, in the book, um, but that kind of universal language is really key. Um, and and the thinking it is that every day we have sixty thousand thoughts, etc. Um, of those thoughts, we have roughly 6,000 6, decisions that we make. And of those 6,000 decisions that we make, we have roughly, you know, we have, um, you know, 80 really identity-focused choice points. And these are the points that you think, you know, do I run or do I not run? Do I eat healthy or do I not eat healthy? Do I recycle or not? You know, these are all things that define who you are. So I think having that universal language around choice points and really talking about you know, who people are, but also you're in control of your choice points. And, I've, you know, and again, a lot of research, you know, the, the classic Daniel Kahneman research around decision-making, you know, there, there's a lot of work around um, how long you've got to make those choices. Are they routine? Are they habitual? Um, how much autonomy, you know, speaking about that today, do we really have um, for for choices? You know, the, the, the choice of going for a run or not, is that predetermined? Um, and last time I was on, we were talking a lot about, you know, pr- preparing for tomorrow today and again that's the same thing in terms of what we're doing here is we're looking at really coming up with the ways that we can um, imagine use your imagination to look at that choice point which you will have today which we have tomorrow which we'll have the following day and all those choice points will build up to really who you are and and how you define yourself so again that's been our key focus as, as research but also you know just thinking about that
1: yeah and it's, it's- it's maybe a little bit surprising, but kind of the choice point might be quite early in the day. Like, like for example, if you if you come home from work and you eat a big dinner, and then you like, oh, I wanted to go for a run, but I'm full. Like, I cannot go in two hours. And then it, then actually, I need to do these things. So, I think it's you really need to plan in a way. For example, I never eat lunch or dinner before thinking that when I'm going to do the training, because I I want to check that I don't. Destroy my window of of training, so that's that's kind of the th- thinking. And also, also with the coffee, that I want to save like <laughs> one cup of coffee that I could still drink before training. And like it's it's the coffee, the meal that you you always think that how to, how to time them.
2: I, I was going to say also, like I, I was going to say on that. I think um you know d- definitely for myself, but also you know a few of the guys who I work with and girls. Um, the hardest choice point is the morning. It's the first choice in the morning is the hardest thing so you know for for me today it was do i go for a run and it's zero degrees um it's okay because i've had the i had the choice point last night choice point last night was i'll prepare for my run this morning knowing it will be zero degrees so again um the hardest choice point as i always think it it comes the first thing and also you know as as i said to joe 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 competed uh in rowing this weekend and um you know i always say to her that the 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 hardest choice points involve the biggest hills because you know, that's that's where the best views are. That's where you have to work hard to get to the top of the mountain, etc. And then you get to, you know, to reap the rewards. And again, similar with rowing, you know, that that actually in racing, you know, all the prep, all the hard work, you, what do you do it? You do it post-race. You do it for that kind of feeling of satisfaction. You do it for that connection with others around you, you know, and you do it for that. Maybe you like even the connection with nature is why you do it. So again, you know, having that really, really grounded understanding of choice points, but also values they are all tied into values. Um, and I think that's the big thing as well.
0: For most sedentary behaviour and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project. Especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time. Causes unnecessary stress and hassle and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data. Introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting edge, next generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.phibian.com. That is s.phibian.com. Fibian. Created by researchers for researchers. Yeah and
1: and how, how do you see I think the
0: choice point that you said
1: that when your hand goes to the handle of the of the fridge that's that's time when you should should think about is it craving or not how how do you, do you see the different choice point in in different settings for example the healthcare physical activity weight loss and and maybe also how do you see this in relating to the nudging research that there's certain maybe places when you need to nudge people. It's it's maybe more temporal that in the lift you should have a sign that the stairs are there, but this is more like maybe time or or the fridge door is, is kind of location-based.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think um, uh, with choice points, they become deliberate moments. So, um, you know, nudge is really based upon um, subliminal things that you, you kind of planted around. Uh, with the choice point, it's it's a real... It's a bit of conflict. I always think it's, it's conflict. So um, to add more clarity to that, you know, if we start with values, if your value, like for you, for example, if your value is health and you don't go for a run, like you're in conflict, you're, you're at friction with your value, and you say, "Oh, maybe I should have gone for a run. Maybe I should have got out on the bike." Okay, if that if that happens over two or three days, then it becomes an issue with who you are, right? And it, it can then it can then start to start to make this identity element slightly derailed because you're in conflict with your value, inner value, and then your behavior. So in a similar way, you know, if your value is family and uh, that's your number one priority and, um, you know, and you don't spend much time with your family, you'll be, again, you'll be in conflict. So the the, the first thing is you must connect with your values. You must understand what your values are. They form expectations and then they should form behaviors. So we use this whole approach of value theory. Um, Value theory is, uh, is, is built upon kind of five layers, which is your values um, dictate your, um, your mindset or your, um, or your beliefs, which then align to your attitude, which then align to your cognitions, how you think, which then determine your behaviors. So if any of those five levels are out of sync with each other, then it cre- it can create this element of conflict. So again, what we do in our in our sessions is we start off with we use motivatoral interviewing to then understand really more so about values all the way through to behaviors. and then once we've got an understanding of goals, we can then use imagery to then inject and amplify motivation towards these very tricky goals
1: and And how do you see like values uh, for example, family might be the number one value for many and then you dedicate time to your family and you don't have time to be active but of course in the long run if you don't live healthy you're not a good parent or not good it's not good for your family how, how do you play with the in a way that the behavior change that you're trying to achieve is not the value number one it's not maybe even top three so how, how do you play with play with that
2: i think locating the top five values is a key starting place so you know if if family you know i think for for me especially value uh, family are number one um that's priority number one and so you know that's why I, i don't compromise but i can merge in family time with going for a bike ride hey values one and two are colliding which means that i get quality time with my family and also i can then keep active and healthy as well so if you can merge values brilliant um but again, knowing full well that sometimes, you know, if, if my son's ill, then priority number one is family. He comes first. Going for a run in the morning is then a subsidiary value. So that's fine. I can miss a run. I'm going to look after my little boy. So again, I think I think it's just being aware of what your values are. Having that chat with yourself to say, you will feel a little bit guilty for not going for a run, but it's okay. Okay. Right? And then of course, having that deliberate that deliberate more uh, I suppose internal dialogue is really key to then keep you focused towards your goals yeah
1: sounds sounds good and, and really makes sense thanks for joining us this week on physical activity researcher podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter this podcast is made possible by listeners like you Thank you for your support. If you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.